This is section 13 of Mark Twain Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dinner Speech The Aldine Dinner, St. James Hotel, New York, early February, 1872. Read by John Greenman. Gentlemen, I would rather address a stag dinner party than any other assemblage in the world, for the reason that when you make a point, those who have been listening always applaud, and those who have been talking to each other and did not hear it applaud louder than anybody else, and if I only had a speech prepared for this occasion, I would take genuine delight in delivering it but i got the notification to be present at this dinner this evening at half-past eleven o'clock this morning to pay what i owe to the aldine establishment and i had to leave an hour after that in order that i might take the trip so i had no opportunity to prepare a speech and i am not one of those geniuses who can make a speech impromptu. I have made a great many happy impromptu speeches, but I had time to prepare them. Now, it is singular, and I suppose that, but for circumstances that happened when I was fourteen years of age, I might have rushed blindly into real impromptu speeches, and injured myself a good deal. This circumstance, which happened when I was fourteen years of age, has always protected me against anything of that kind, and it has led me to think a good deal. Now, I don't think a good deal, generally, of what may probably be the moving springs of human nature. I put that in merely because it is a good expression. I mean it has led me to question in my own mind what may probably have been the incidents in a man's life which have remained with him longest, whether they are important incidents or whether they are merely trivial ones. I have almost come to the conclusion that the things that stay longest by man and shape his action in after-life are really things of trivial importance. Now, I call your attention to the fact, in support of this argument, that Newton, when he was—well, I don't know what he was doing now. I make no insinuations against Newton. I don't know what he was doing in the apple orchard. But you know he saw the apple fall, and that suggested the idea of the attraction of gravitation. I call your attention again to that expression, and then again, one of the greatest inventors that ever lived—I am sorry for your instruction, I cannot tell his name— uh, was led into this matter of gravitation by having to wait upon his mother while she was hearing confession, and seeing the pendulum move back and forward, there was nothing else for him to contemplate, and that set him into this matter of 
looking at mechanics, and he invented a great many things. I don't know what they were. Now it was trivial, you know. And Galileo, loafing around in the cathedral at Pisa, not knowing what he was there for, or how he was putting in his time, but he saw and took note of the gentle vibration of the chandelier to and fro, and through that invented the pendulum, which is understood to have made a revolution in mechanics, and I suppose it has. I take these learned things for granted. All these are trivial matters, but they brought about vast results. Now, the thing that made the deepest impression on my mind, and has lasted until this moment, was a matter itself essentially trivial. It occurred when I was a boy, and it has protected me, up to this time, against making a speech when I hadn't a speech prepared. It was a remark made by a friend. He said, I could have catched them cats if I had on a good ready. Now, at first glance, that didn't appear to convey an idea, but it does, and the meat of it is this. Don't do anything unless you are prepared to do it. Therefore, until this moment, I never made a speech unless I had that speech all set down and ready. This incident is of no consequence to you at all, and yet I never made a speech in my life unless I tried to inculcate a moral, unless I tried to convey instruction. And if I can make you better men than you are, it is not for me to say there is room for it, though I suppose there is. If I can make you wiser than you are, or if I can protect you in after life as I have been protected, let me do it here, even if I perish on the spot. Now this thing occurs in this wise. As trivial as it is, it is a matter to be treasured, I think, and remembered. When I was fourteen, as I remarked before, I was living with my parents, who were very poor and correspondingly honest. We had a youth living with us, by the name of Jim Wolfe. He was an excellent fellow, seventeen years old, and very diffident. He and I slept together, virtuously, and one very bitter winter's night, a cousin Mary of mine—she's married now and gone—gave what they called a candy-pulling in those days in the West, and they took the saucers of hot candy outside of the house into the snow under a sort of old bower that came out from the eaves. It was a sort of an L, then, all covered with vines. To cool this hot candy in the snow. And they were all sitting around there, and in the meantime we were gone to bed. We were not invited to attend this party. We were too young. All these young ladies and gentlemen assembled there, and Jim and I were in bed. There was about four inches of snow on this L, and our window looked out onto it. 
and it was frozen hard. A couple of tomcats. It is possible one of them might have been the other sex. Were assembled on the chimney in the middle of this L, and they were growling at a fearful rate, and switching their tails about and going on, and we couldn't sleep at all. Finally, Jim said, for two cents I'd go out and snake them cats off that chimney. So I said, of course you would. Well, he said, well, I would. I have a mighty good notion to do it. Says I, of course you have. Certainly you have. You have a great notion to do it. I hoped he might try it, but I was afraid he wouldn't. Finally, I did get his ambition up, and he raised the window and climbed out on that icy roof with nothing on but his socks and a very short shirt. He went climbing along on all fours on the roof towards this chimney where the cats were. In the meantime, these young ladies and gentlemen were enjoying themselves down under the eaves, and when Jim got almost to that chimney, he made a pass at the cats and his heels flew up, and he shot down and crashed through those vines, and lit in the midst of the ladies and gentlemen, and sat down in those hot saucers of candy, and there was a general stampede, of course, and he came upstairs, dropping pieces of chinaware and candy all the way up, and when he got up there, and now anybody in the world would have gone into profanity or something calculated to relieve the mind under such circumstances. But he didn't. He scraped the candy off his legs, nursed his blisters a little, and said, I could have catched them cats if I had on a good ready. Now, I say this, that if the opportunity had so fallen out that I could have had ample opportunity to get up a speech, I could have gotten up a speech that would have sent you all home happy or otherwise. I could have gotten up a speech that would have done honor to this occasion, and to me. But under the circumstances, I have had no opportunity, and I could not get up such a speech. But as long as you live, if you remember the circumstances at all, you will remember that if I had on a good ready, I would have caught these literary cats here present. Now, I won't bore you any further, but I will simply say that I am glad to be present here, glad to help to celebrate this occasion, the new era of enlarged prosperity for the Aldine, and also the calling to the editorial chair of a gentleman of culture like Mr. Stoddard, and I am glad to be able to sit with so bright a company as this, and hope you will excuse further remarks from yours truly. End of dinner speech read by John Greenman.